The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started. Welcome to the Covenant Podcast. Austin McCormick here with my co-host, Jimmy Johnson. I do like to call him Jimothy. And uh, today we are going to be discussing an important topic. Jimmy, would you like to say anything before we get into the topic? No. All right. Well, the topic that we're going to be discussing today (laughs) is uh, the importance of the local church. Uh, We've faced some unprecedented days and some unprecedented times in the last week. Uh, Jimmy and our churches, or my church that I pastor, has been uh, just now gathering in the last couple of weeks together. So we went multiple weeks without formally uh, gathering together indoors. And I'm certain that uh, many churches across America, at least, uh, are going through similar circumstances. So as we transition back to gathering together indoors and formally assembling with one another on the Lord's Day, we want to talk about the importance of the local church and how it's important in uh, the Christian's walk with their follow- with their uh, walk with Christ. So, Jimmy, would you uh, define membership? Yes, and this definition, I I can't remember exactly where it came from, but I'm pretty sure it came from Jonathan Lehman from Nine Marks or Lehman. How do you say his name? I think it's Lehman. 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 Well, if, if he somehow listens to this, I, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. But anyways, church membership is a covenant union between a particular church and a Christian. A covenant that consists of the church's affirmation of the Christian's gospel profession, the church's promise to give oversight to the Christian, and the Christian's promise to gather with the church and submit to its oversight. So I'll, I'll break that down a little bit. And so we'll start out, the church membership or church membership is a covenant. That is a solemn agreement between a Christian and a local church. The church affirms the Christian's profession of faith in Christ. That is, by extending membership to an individual, the church is saying, as far as we can tell, you are a Christian. We're putting our seal of approval on your claim to follow Christ. And then next, the church promises to oversee the Christian's discipleship, and we'll talk about this a little bit more and later. And that is to say, this comes through teaching, preaching, the pastor's oversight, and the mutual building up, which all the members of the church are to engage in. And then finally, the church or the Christian promises to assemble with regularly and submit to the church by committing to church membership or committing to a local congregation of believers through what we call membership, the Christian vows to gather with this church consistently and to submit to its authority and teaching. So do you have anything that you'd like to add to or just thoughts on that, Austin? Uh, Not for the definition uh, right now, but those are certainly some good thoughts and helpful as we begin to think through the topic of membership. Let's slowly transition to our next thought where we're going to try to show uh, in the New Testament how we can uh, validate this definition. Uh, And we're going to do this by 
looking at three ways that the New Testament implies local church membership and uh, through discipline, uh, the numberings, and eldership. So do you want to uh, speak through one of these three topics? Yeah, so we would say, both Austin and I would agree, and, and most Baptists would agree, that church membership is a requirement for the Christian. And, and we do that even though there is no command, per se, in the New Testament to become a church member. And the word, the phrase, church membership, is not itself within the New Testament. Like, we do not find, thou shalt become a church member. So why have Baptists historically believed, why have Christians in general, broadly, except for some exceptions, agreed to this concept of being a church member? Even if we disagree with who can be a member, most churches throughout history have agreed to this idea of being a member of a local church or institution. And so the first reason is church membership is required, and we see this in the case of church discipline. So one instance we see this is in Corinthians. Paul is speaking, 1 Corinthians 5 to be particular, he, he is speaking to the church, telling them to put out a man who had slept with his, I believe, mother-in-law, right? Or stepmother? I believe stepmother. But Paul says this, let him who has done this thing be removed from among you. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And then later he says, purge the evil person from among you. If there is the, no idea of church membership whatsoever, what are you putting this man out from? Yeah. Like, what, what does it mean to put him out? And then later he says this. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? It is not those inside the church whom you are to judge. God judges those outside. Again, we see this theme of insiders and outsiders. So there's this idea within church discipline, there's this something being assumed or implied. There's this idea of there is a membership, and those who are in membership, if they commit something egregious like this man did, then they can be put out of it. And also there's this concept of outsiders. And who are they? They are the people who are not a part of this local church. And therefore they cannot be put outside of it. And, and then also you have Jesus's discourse in Matthew chapter 18 talking about church discipline. And at the end of it, if the person refuses to repent, you, you treat them like an unbeliever. And that's why if you read like historical analysis of Baptist and church discipline. I believe it's called Democratic Religion by Greg Wills. Um, and I might have his first name wrong, but Dr. Wills. And basically what Baptists would do when someone refused to repent, they would say, we have dismissed so-and-so. And they said, formally they called that person brother, but now they call them friend. So there's this idea of church discipline of when you, when you remove the person from membership, you are, as the best of your ability, based on their profession and their contradictory lifestyle to that profession, you're saying that as far as we can tell, you are demonstrating that the profession that you once made is not true. They're not saying it's not true. It's as far as we can tell that you've transgressed this idea of charity that we gave you initially by your lifestyle and refusing 
to repent. So that's the first one, church discipline. You have any thoughts on that, Austin? Uh, you kind of hit on it whenever we were talking about Corinthians, but uh, the idea of purging, mm-hmm. keeping pure what is inside, and you hit on how he's talking about those inside and those outside. But the last verse I think that you reference, I'm trying to find here. Matthew 18? No, 1 Corinthians 5, 13. Purge the evil person from among you. So the idea of righteousness and purity among a group of people. And the idea of an evil person being put out from among them. So, yeah, discipline. Yep, church member is required, and we see this in the case of church discipline. Uh, The second point is church membership is required, and we see this in the list maintained by churches. Now, in the New Testament, we don't have a list of members, per se, that we, we hear about. However, it's not too far to think that such a thing would have existed during that time. And and we get this from the idea of the formal list that was kept of widows within the congregations of the churches. And, and that is commanded so that the church can actually keep track and care for these widows who are in need. And we see this in 1 Corinthians 5, 9. I don't have much other to say about that, but you can see the logical connection from there. How do you know which widows are your widows if you don't have this broader idea of who makes up your local congregation? Who are the widows that are to be cared for by your local church? Well, it's those who are among the membership. Anything to add? And then the third point, we're moving right along, and I believe Austin's going to have more to say about this one, but church membership is required, and we see this in the responsibility given to elders. Hebrews 13 puts this very clearly when he tells the church who he's writing to, the author does, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch, that's the verbal form of overseer, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So, who are the overseers keeping watch over? Whose souls are they responsible? And, and me as a pastor, one question I have to ask is, if a membership role is not maintained, and if we don't know who our members are, who am I going to give an account for? Yeah. Like, from all practical purposes, who am I responsible for? And, and when churches fail to keep accurate roles, it, it really puts an unnecessary tension on a pastor who cares deeply for his people. And, and I can speak from experience to this, that within Baptist churches, we often have inflated roles, and, and I'm constantly struggling with, well, who am I actually responsible for? Right. And, and what, what should I do for those that, that I've never met before yet have, have remained on this church role? And we have one other proof text um, to, to give, and that is that Peter, in his letter, he exhorts pastors to shepherd the flock of God that is among them. 
this idea of they are to pastor and shepherd, that's the verbal form for the word pastor, to shepherd the flock that is among them. So they aren't to shepherd all of the flock of Christ everywhere, but they have this particular responsibility for believers that are among them. They, they watch over them. And we could talk about plurality of elders, but there is already an episode on that, and you can go back and listen to that. But I know you had some thoughts about pastoring and, and things like that. Well, first of all, I just want to say, yes, we could talk more about a plurality of elders. We could talk about that a lot more, but we're not going to right now. Go listen to our episode with Phil Newton. <laughs> I want to talk about it more, but we're not going to. So let's just talk about uh, how shepherding shows the responsibility or the necessity of membership. Jimmy alluded to it. Um, if there is no membership, <laughs> who am I shepherding? Uh, pastors we see in the New Testament have the responsibility to rule. The title uh, for pastor is overseer. Who are you overseeing? It, it, it would be extremely impractical if I was a pastor overseeing every person that calls themselves a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean... Practically for me, in my community, there's many different congregations. And if mm. I was the overseer of everybody around me that called themselves a Christian, that would present a lot of problems. So mm. membership uh, provides the necessary bounds for who I'm supposed to teach to, who I'm supposed mm. to preach to, who I'm supposed to shepherd the flock. For. I mean, are you supposed to go visit every single person in the hospital? And I actually was wrong. I have a fourth reason, too. Um, and it's kind of the reversal of the point to the elders. Church membership is required, and we see this in the duties to Christians. And it comes from that same command that is given in Hebrews where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. Well, who is them? Right. Who is who are you your leaders? To? Who are the ones that you are responsible to follow? It makes very little sense to say that if you don't have an idea of who those people are. Yeah. So... That's Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Yes, that's Hebrews 13. So those are Obey some of submit. the reasons that we, we find in the Bible where this idea of church membership and this idea of the local church even is there. And we could probably do more about broadening out and just talking about what is the local church and where do we see evidences of that. You see it in the fact that letters are written to individual churches, like to Philippians. You see it in the book of Revelation, how it goes to local churches. It doesn't just say church but it says church is, as in these are individual expressions of the greater universal church that transcends both time and, and space and, and things like that. But there is this idea of a locale. And the word church itself means assembly. So it's conveying this idea of people assembling together. Yeah. So those are some biblical proofs and theological re- rationale for this idea of church membership. Yeah. Another uh, point that I was going to make whenever we were talking about the importance of eldership, and this um, implies to both what you were saying, the importance of a church through people that are supposed to uh, give oversight to you. In James 5.14, he says, Is any among you sick? 
let him call for the elders of the church. Which church is that? Who are the elders that are going to come and pray mm-hmm. for you? Mm-hmm. So for sure, for sure. Um, let's let's transition now that we've kind of had this conversation on uh, the importance of membership. We've defined this doctrine. We've uh, attempted to demonstrate this doctrine, and I think we have by uh, showing the importance of discipline and the numberings uh, that we find in the New Testament and uh, the numerous teachings on eldership, uh, overseers, pastors, if you use your King James Version, bishops. But now we are going to transition to how we can um, practically work out what membership means for individual members that are a part of a congregation. So let's... uh, or devote this doctrine, what are some ways that membership applies to people in the the church? So these are reasons to join a church, some very practical reasons, at least practical in my my idea. So first, join a local church to protect yourself. I mean, that's a very practical thing. And and the reason... And what do you mean by that specifically? Well, there is such a thing as false professions of faith. Right. And and we see this, for example, when Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, that there are many that will come to him that will say, Lord, Lord, um, who enter... Well, let me see where what I meant by that. Well, they said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then... Will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So this idea is this kingdom picture. They come to him at the end of time, and they, 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 they say, Lord, Lord, to Jesus, and say how they've done all these marvelous things in his name, and yet they have not genuinely believed in him. And then other examples of this is the, the concepts that we find both in First John but also in John. It starts in John where this idea of whoever has my commandments keeps them, he it is who loves me. And First John, it, it, it expands on this idea throughout the, the entire, entirety of the gospel, how one of the greatest expressions of our Christianity is how we love fellow Christians. And by joining a local church, you have an extra set of eyes that can see whether or not you're doing that, that can help you. And, and then church discipline is one of those expressions of love. When you are caught in sin, the, your fellow brothers and sisters, they reach out to you in love, hoping to retrieve you and bring you back into the fold so that you do not, per se, fall away. Yeah. And, and that's one way joining a church helps you. It helps you to live consistently right. with that profession of faith that you have. But also, I mean, these are in my notes, but I mean, the ordinary means of grace right. take place within the local church in the assembly, and those are helps for you because the means of grace are those means which God has promised to ordinarily work through for the benefit and the blessing of the believer. Yeah. And the preaching of the word, for example, takes place within the congregation gathered, hearing the word of God preached, and God has promised to accompany that preaching to produce faith in the unconverted, but also to strengthen 
the faith of those who have been converted, of those who have received the word. And the same thing goes for the prayers of the saints, as well as the Lord's Supper and baptism. Those all are used to to strengthen the faith of those who believe. And, and that takes place within preeminently. It can take place elsewhere, but preeminently, I'm talking the preaching of the word, but preeminently it takes place within the church gathered. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that point? I was going to add the means of grace, and then you, you got right. to it. So, Well, there you go. The second one is join the local church to encourage fellow believers. There are scriptures in Galatians 6 where it talks about bearing one another's burdens, the idea of weeping with those who weep that Jesus gives, the idea of being um, humble as Christ is humble that we find in, in Philippians 2 where we are told to count others more highly or regard others more highly than ourselves. But this ultimately comes from Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25 and it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And here's why, or not why, but here's how we do that, the manner in which we can encourage one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the ways that we build up one another to love and good works is by not neglecting to meet. It's by coming together with our brothers and sisters and encouraging one another. And and that's one way in which joining a local church, it will help you to do that. You will have a group of people who you can encourage. Yeah. Um. Another way that you can encourage your believers is by uh, being committed to them, like Jimmy just mentioned in the Hebrews passage. But the body metaphor that uh, that Paul gives to the church at Corinth uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 not only uh, shows the accountability that you have to other members in the congregation, but to your responsibility to them to encourage them and be them, be there for with them. He says after giving this big metaphor about one person being an eye, one person being an ear, one person being like a hand or a foot, that if one member suffers, all suffer together, and if one member is honored, all rejoice together. So not only the idea of encouraging other believers, but suffering with them, too. Mm -hmm. Suffering mm -hmm. with them, too. So. Yes. So the third reason third practical application is join a local church to evangelize the unbelieving world. And one way in which we see this is one, Paul's collection uh, for from the churches to to provide for his missionary endeavors. We find that in Philippians 4, 10 through 20. And then also this idea of the fact that by joining a local church, we're joining a body in which there are people with different giftings, and some of them will be gifted in evangelism in such a way that we are not. And by joining together, we, we can propel those people into opportunities and provide for them means by which they can do that. And then also, just by way of example, when we join together as a local church and participate in those things that God has given us, we give a picture for the effects of the gospel to the unbelieving world around us. When, when Christians are giving to one another they are displaying the grace that God has given us in his son, 
Christ, when they gather around the word and hear the word proclaimed, the teaching of the apostles proclaimed, it's they're showing the importance of that gospel message. And and when they they devote themselves and take up the Lord's Supper, that's literally a picture of the gospel itself. And right. then also prayer, they're displaying their utter need for God's help and assistance, how all that they do and the power that they have, it, it doesn't ultimately begin with and reside within them, but it actually resides within the God who has saved them and delivered them in his son Jesus Christ and empowered them by the power of his Holy Spirit. So that would be another one, to evangelize the unbelieving world. It, it, it's like when we are called to make disciples of all nations, we begin to see in the gospel of Acts that came through church planting. Right. That's how it happened. And 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 we see this in the book of Titus. When the churches had been planted in Crete, Titus is sent around to appoint elders and all all the local churches there because that is one of the main means in which God spreads the gospel to the unbelieving world. And that's how the gospel started in Jerusalem, went throughout Judea, went into Samaria, and is going to the utter ends of the earth. So joining a local church is a, a pivotal or, or a, a practical way in which you can join in that worldwide Mission And as Baptists, obviously, we believe in cooperation, and local churches support the sending of missionaries and, and pray and should pray for missionaries and pray for the lost. One practice that I've implemented during my pastoral prayer is praying for the gospel to go out into the nations and, and for God to send out labors and oftentimes praying for specific countries for that to take place. Do you have anything to add? All right, moving right along. Fourth, join a local church to defend the gospel. Um, this is very much related to the point that I just had, and a lot of the text that I, I cited about evangelizing the nations are, are very much um, related to this idea. When I was in college, and I went to a Christian college, but many of the, the students there with me were not fellow Christians, when we talk about Christianity, often they imply this idea that Christians are fun-sucking, self-righteous, and hypocritical bigots. Like, hmm. very strong words, but being an active member of a church, just it shows that these things are false. It demonstrates this idea that these conceptions are false. When we are embodying those traits that we find in Acts Two, or in Ephesians 4, or in Romans chapter 12, talking about the life of the Christian, when we embody those things, we, we dispel these false conceptions. And what's interesting, when you read church history and read early defenses of the gospel, like very early, beyond the New Testament, that is, and, and I'd say the New Testament does this too, but very early apologists, they do deal with some of the intellectual objections, but one of their main apologetics for defending the gospel is by pointing to how Christians love each other. And it's, it's crazy, because it's like Jesus said that. You will display that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And some of these very robust intellectual people, including Justin Martyr, who would probably be one of the most well-known ones there, one of their main apologetics is 
basically this. See how we love one another. See how we pray for the emperor. See how we do these things as local churches. And these, by doing that, they're saying this defends and, and, and gives proof and evidence experientially to the truth of the gospel that we proclaim about Jesus Christ, who laid down his life for us and empowers us to do the same for our brothers and sisters and beyond that, our neighbors. So anything to add there? So you're saying that the way that you live in commitment to God's people as the bride of Christ gives a defense of the gospel. Yes, it does. Experientially. Yes, it, it gives a picture for the power of the gospel Amen. I in, in the life of sinners. And then the fifth point is join a local church to glorify God. Um, John Piper defines to glorify God. He says to glorify God means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness, that make much of God, that give evidence of the supreme greatness of all his attributes and all the satisfying beauty of his manifold perfections. Now, that's a very John Piper-esque definition for sure, but he, he gets to the gist of it. It means thinking and acting in ways that reflect God's glory, that, re, that live in such a way that God has called us to, and living in conformity with his word. And Peter writes this, he says, keep your conduct among the Gentile, Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. And what he's doing there, and throughout the Gospel of First Peter, he's writing to people who are experiencing suffering, who are experiencing persecution, people who are, who are dispersed and, and, and exiles and sojourners. And over and over again, he commends them, he tells them to be godly, to be holy as God is holy, regardless of whatever happens to them, in order that as he says here, that they will give glory to God, that the, even when they revile you, their reviling will prove to be false, which goes to that point that I just mentioned earlier, the defense of the gospel. You glorify God by joining together as local churches and displaying the gospel in spite of what people say about you that is false, or hopefully what they say about you that is wrong is false. And then John he, Jesus says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love, or if you have love for one another. So I mentioned that text earlier, but we glorify God in the eyes of the unbelieving world, but also just broadly by reflecting the love that Jesus has for his people. And one of the ways that we can do that in a very practical way and make sure that we are keeping with this idea and concept is by loving one another. Yeah. Um, as we move towards a conclusion, I want to put you on the spot, which it's not too much of putting you on the spot because I feel like both of us could speak to it but I, I'll give you the opportunity to do so. We've talked about membership this whole episode. We've talked about why a person should join a church. We've talked about what membership means and uh, where we can look at in the New Testament to find these ideas. What type of a church should a follower of Jesus desire to become a member of? If you could speak to this as a pastor 
what type of a church should someone look for membership to well, join? As a confessional, particular Baptist, I, I obviously have bias towards joining confessionally robust churches that, that the preaching of the Word is, is a primary means through which they do ministry. Uh, that I mean, a true church is, is one where the preaching of the Word takes place, where the sacraments are rightly practiced, and where church discipline, is, that's one one thing that is added. So uh, we look, talked about that under protect yourself through the means yeah. of grace. So I mean, look for churches that that seek with all that they are, though imperfectly, to embody those traits where the preaching of the word takes place regularly, where the sacraments are are esteemed and and viewed with high regard and practiced, and then where the church actually cares about the purity of its membership. Now. That doesn't mean they have to be perfect at it, but at least an idea they're striving towards that, where the pastor is striving towards that and teaching things faithfully. But, I mean, you don't need to join a church that has a lot of money, bells and whistles, or or even this robust children's program and ministry like that. You need a church that seeks in all that they do to be faithful in those bare essentials and those things that God commands. And and you're not going to find a perfect vocal church because as soon as you arrive on the scene, it will instantly be imperfect if it were perfect before because you're imperfect. <laughs> but right. there is no perfect church. So, I mean, the main thing is join a local church that, that strives to teach sound doctrine and live in light of that sound doctrine, a church that preaches the gospel and 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 seeks to live out the implications of the gospel. Now, I do not believe that you can live the gospel because the gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, but when the gospel is embraced, it does produce certain effects in the lives of those who embrace it. So, and and the third function of the law would come to play there in that Christ empowers us in gratitude to obey what he has commanded in his scripture so that we can actually love one another because of what Jesus has done. Um, so I, I guess in summary, I'm kind of rambling. Just join a local church that cares about faithfulness, Amen. That, that cares about the truth, that, and, I mean, has a confession of faith yeah. and, and seeks to be consistent with it, has a, a robust understanding of church membership, and the main thing is, as Baptists, we'll say, join a local church that baptizes believers. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if you're a Presbyterian, I love you. Um, but obviously, we, we, we disagree on this point. But that perhaps, would be my summary. Perhaps a podcast for another time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, uh, our listeners, we thank you for uh, listening to this topic on local church membership, membership in the New Testament. Uh, Jimmy and I are both pastors, so we enjoy to speak to these ecclesiological issues. So we thank you for uh, listening and engaging in our conversation. Uh, just to finish, we'll recap these points, or I'll just reread them that we mentioned. Uh, join a local church to protect yourself. Join a local church to encourage other believers and suffer with them. Join a local co- church to evangelize unbelievers. Join a local church to defend the gospel, and join a local church to glorify God. Grace and peace to you. The Covenant Podcast exists to discuss doctrine, 
theology, and the biblical worldview from a covenantal Baptist perspective. We pray that this resource will be edifying to you and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's get started.